The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 53 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the classic radio theater featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two drama episodes of Night Beat starring Frank Lovejoy. We'll begin after this short break. Frank Lovejoy starred as Randy Stone, a war hero and streetwise journalist who combed Chicago's windy streets after office hours during the night beat in search of human interest stories. A prolific newspaper columnist for the Chicago Star, Randy was a hard-boiled yet kind-hearted character and his Lasonic style came in handy when talking bad guys out of doing vile deeds. Airing from 1950 until 1952, NBC referred to the program as a dramatic thriller, but that wasn't completely accurate, and Nightbeat seemed to defy classification. It wasn't really a detective series, and there was no sidekick, little violence, and no bullying newspaper editor screaming on the phone about deadlines. Focusing on the psychology of the characters and their motivation, the series was cerebral in nature. The dialogue was rhythmic and hypnotic. The music of Frank Worth set the mood and the critics raved. Less than a year after the radio program went off the air, Frank Lovejoy reprised his role as Randy Stone for a would-be pilot episode of television's weekly anthology Four Star Playhouse. The gritty, tough dialogue of the radio scripts was better suited to the airwaves, and the pilot episode never went beyond the initial airing. Time now for the first of two drama episodes of Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy. In this first story, Randy Stone tries to track down 20 tons of contaminated butter before a typhoid epidemic hits Chicago. Here's Night Beat from September 25th, 1950. Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a crash on the highway and ended with a whole city fighting for its life. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Joe's Diner is located about 10 miles out of town on the highway going north to St. Paul. Joe caters to the truck drivers who wrestle those big 20-ton diesel jobs. You know, the ones that scare the pants off you when you have to hedge over to the side of the road so that they can pass. 
It's strictly a man's spot. The steaks are juicy, and the conversation even juicier. I stop in there once in a while myself to take on a little of Joe's home cooking and improve my vocabulary. Like tonight. All right. Oh, how many hands you think I got? Like enough to push. <laughs> I grabbed a stool at the counter and waited for Joe to catch up with me. Ah, uh, Joe, scramble eggs when you get to it. Uh, oh, I'll be with you in a minute, Mr. Stone. Fried and butter, Joe. Lots of butter. How else? Good, good. I'm starved. Nine o'clock. You ain't had your supper yet? No, that's breakfast. I'm just starting out. Oh. <laughs> You're as bad as one of these truck drivers. Here, this will hold you. Joe banged a cup of coffee on the counter in front of me, and then it happened. It was a desperate shriek of brakes and a terrific crash out on the highway. In five seconds, a dozen men were on their feet racing for the door. Holy mackerel, call the cops, Joe. Tell them to send an ambulance. It was almost a quarter of a mile away, but long before I got there, I could make out the shape of a big semi-trailer truck and jammed into its rear end a brand-new sedan. Still had about a hundred yards to go when the truck roared up and started pulling itself loose from the wrecked car. Get his license number, somebody! But the guy on the truck hadn't put his lights on and he pulled away before anyone could get close enough. The sedan was there over on one side and it was a mess. The boys got the car right side up and dragged the driver out. He was soused to the gills. In a little while, the cops were there working him over. And then I saw this other guy over by the ditch across the road. Hey, hey, you all right? Run out on me. Run out. Who ran out on you? Are you hurt? Look, mister, I got to get away from here. Oh, oh, I, I see you were in the truck. Yeah, yeah, I was in the truck. Look, I got to see a doctor, this hand of mine. Cops will take care of it for you until the ambulance gets oh, here. Oh, I don't need no ambulance. Uh, here's another one over here, Sergeant. Okay. I tell you, I can make it okay. Well, hello, Stone. How did you get here, Fly? Hi, Sarge. This fellow in the wreck? He was in the truck. Yeah? What's your name? Uh, Harry Waldo. Driver's helper? No, I just bummed a ride. The guy gave me a ride about a hundred miles back. Uh-huh. Where do you live? Here, Chicago. You get the license number of the truck? No, I, I didn't pay no attention. What was the driver's name, Waldo? Well, I didn't ask him. Well, who was he driving for? Was there a sign on the truck? No, it was dark when he picked me up. I didn't notice. What was he hauling? What should I know? I just bummed her up. Say, who is this guy, officer? Do I have to answer his questions? It won't hurt any. Was it a refrigerated truck? No, it wasn't. Well, that's the first thing you seem sure of. How come? Oh, it was kind of all beat up. and Well, it just didn't seem like no icebox, that's all. This guy's trying to play hide-and-go-seek with you, Sergeant. That truck was a cooler, and he knows it. How come you're so sure? Ammonia gas. Can't you smell it? It's all over the place, including your overalls. Hose connection must have broken in the crack-up. Look, wise guy, whoever you are... Randy Stone, Chicago Star. This officer wasn't Come here. on, come on. None of that now. Okay. I'm in the truck. There's a crash, and I get out to see what hit us. And while I'm on the ground, a truck driver pulls out on me. So what does that make me, a suspect in a murder case? A 
Or is this paper boy just looking for a story? Oh, sure, sure. I'm always looking for a story. Brother, this sure has the makings of one. A fish story. The sergeant got a few more vital statistics on Harry Waldo and then let him go with the usual business about keeping in touch in case the police wanted him for further questioning. After the mob cleared, I went over the area again in the dark. There was nothing. In the ditch, I noticed a battered-up wooden box, the kind they shipped butter in. There was nothing there. So I went back into Joe's and phoned the story into my paper. I told the city desk where I could be reached, and then I got busy on that much-delayed order of scrambled eggs. Mmm. Oh, they're good, Joe. Hey, the others got cold. I made them fresh. Lots of butter, the way you like. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Hey, you know, I can't get over that truck running out on the crash. What do you want to do that for? Must have known it wasn't his fault. Well, who knows, Joe? Maybe he had a date. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Hello? Joe's diner. Joe's talking. Yeah. Hold on. It's for you, Mr. Stone. Take it in the booth. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Hello. Andy, this is Mac on the desk. Oh, well, that figures. On that crash story you phoned in, is that all you can give us? What else do you want? How about the truck? What was it hauling? I'm sorry, Mac. All I know is what I phoned in. Did you ask around? Well, of course I asked. Nobody knows. If you'd like to send out one of your better men oh, for a follow-up... Oh, funny stuff, Randy. Could the truck have been hauling butter? Butter? Why? Something came in on the wires this afternoon. I thought we could tie it in with the truck running out. How? I'll read it to you. State line, Emerson, Manitoba, Canada. This city, hard hit by recent floods, reports theft of 21 tons of contaminated butter, which was being removed from the Ajax Creamery for disposal. Contaminated? The condemned butter, bearing the trade name of Dandy D, had been submerged for three weeks in stagnant sewage water because of uh, recent flood conditions. Health authorities have expressed fears the butter may become the cause of widespread typhoid epidemic. Typhoid? I think there could be any connection, Randy. 20 tons of typhoid fever in Chicago? sense, Randy. It's only a little over 900 miles from the border, two days by fast truck. And it's a cinch they'd have a tough time getting rid of it any closer. Randy, you still there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, uh, feeling so good when I'm here. What's the matter with you? Just feeling that I'm on the verge of a story, one that I can do without. I ran back out to the ditch where I'd seen the wooden box. It was there all right. My heart sank when I lit a match and read the words, Number One Creamery Butter, Canada. Then I kicked the box over and saw a couple of greasy packages. There was some sort of a wrapping on them. When I read the words, Dandy D, I began feeling bugs crawling down my throat. I went back to Joe's and got all the newspaper I could find and a pair of cotton gloves to boot. Then I picked up the box, put it in my car, and drove down to the star. Mac's eyes popped through his glasses when he saw it. He got some board of health official out of bed and gave him the story over the phone. By the time we were through taking pictures, they had a crew of experts there to haul the stuff down to the lab for analysis. In the meantime, I helped Mac fix up a spread for the morning paper in the biggest, blackest type we had. Well, does that make you feel any better, Randy? That sure does. That warning ought to make a suspect out of every pound of butter in town. Nobody could possibly buy the stuff now. They'll have to ditch it. Randy, there's over $10,000 worth of butter on that truck. Typhoid or no typhoid, those guys are going to try to sell it. But how can they? 
No trick to change the wrapper. Only one way to stop him. Find the truck. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell him that down at police headquarters. Yeah. Wait a minute. Close that door. City desk. Yeah, Mac talking. Oh, you did? You sure? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do all we can. Yeah, thanks for calling. Who was it? On your way down to police headquarters, Randy, you can take a little time out to pray. That was the lab man from the Board of Health. Well, what was the verdict? That butter is crawling with pestilence and death. Typhoid? Pestilence and death. Those were his exact words. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. The NBC chimes are laughing, but they're not keeping the reason a secret. They want everyone to know they're laughing in anticipation of the mad and merry antics in store with two NBC fall favorites, Bob Hope and Groucho Marx. Hope returns to the air over most of these stations on Tuesday evening, October 3rd, just one week from tomorrow. Groucho Marx brings his laugh-filled quiz game, You Bet Your Life, to NBC beginning Wednesday, October 4th. Listen when you hear the three chimes for laughs and more laughs with Bob Hope on October 3rd and Groucho Marx on October 4th. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. At first, the police treated the typhoid butter story like it was a circulation builder for the star. But bad news travels fast, and by the time I got in to see police chief Captain Sorensen, he'd heard all about it. He was a very worried man. Oh, hello, Randy. Come down to help me word my resignation. Oh, it's that bad, huh? Haven't got a thing. What about that Waldo fellow who was on the truck? Have you picked him up? He forgot to arrive home after the accident. Well, that truck's got a hole up someplace. I've set up roadblocks. I've sent out patrols. There's not a back alley in this city that won't be searched tonight. But we still have no real description of the truck. Well, have you checked all coal storages and creameries? First thing, nothing's come in. You know, Mac thinks they may change the wrappers on the butter. Maybe if you call the printer. No good, Randy. You can buy wax butter wrappers in any paper supply house. This thing has been pretty well thought out. Well, no use my adding to the confusion around here. I mind if I go down to this Waldo's place and have a look around? Of course not. It's a boarding house over on St. Mary's Avenue. But uh, look out for the old lady who runs the place. She'll talk you into a corner and keep you there. Uh, don't worry about me, Captain. With little old ladies, I come out fighting all the time. It was half past 11 when I pulled up in front of Harry Waldo's address. It was one of those sad-looking houses that seemed to be held together by memories of what they used to be 40 years ago. Now there was a sign in front that read, Furnished Rooms. Mrs. Angela Barr. I rang and waited. Someone had drawn the curtains apart a little and was giving me the once-over. Yes? Mrs. Barr? Yes, what is it? Can you open the door, please? It's urgent. Goodness gracious, you police are the most persistent... I'm not with the police, Mrs. Barr. Not with the police. But you must be. They've been coming and going all night long. No, no, no. I'm a newspaper reporter on the Star. My name is... A newspaper reporter... What a pleasant surprise. I declare I'm so excited. You must come in the kitchen and I'll make a cup of coffee. No, no, thanks very much. You're very kind, but I really what must... What did you say your name was? Stone, Randy Stone. Oh, yes, of course. You sure you wouldn't like some coffee? No, nothing, thank you. <laughs> 
I... Oh, goodness, she's awake. Who is it? It's all right, Nancy. It's just a visitor. Go back to sleep, dear. Now there's nothing to be afraid of. Your mother will be home in a little while. Just go back to sleep like a good girl. All right. That's uh, quite a cough. Yes, the child has had such a cold. Poor Ellen is worried sick about her. Ellen? Her mother, Ellen Spencer. She's one of my tenants. Oh, yes. Now, look, Mrs. Barr, I wanted to ask you some questions about another of your tenants. Oh, yes. Mr. Waldo. The police have been bothering me all night. Whatever has he done? The police wouldn't tell me. Well, he's done plenty. He's stolen a truckload of butter from the flood area up north. Dole. Well, that's not all. That butter is contaminated with typhoid. If it ever gets into circulation, we'll... Oh, how dreadful. How very dreadful. Mrs. Barr, I have a favor to ask. Now, how could I possibly do you a favor, Mr. Stone? I'd like to have a look at Mr. Waldo's room. But the police have already been through his room. Yes, I know, but you know how it is when you've got to write a story. There's nothing like seeing it firsthand. But at this time of night, do I have to let you in? Well, legally, no. Well, then, uh... You mean you refuse? Not exactly. Uh, only surely a rich and powerful paper like the Star. Now that Mr. Waldo has disappeared, I'm sure I'll never get the rent he owes me. Yes, I see. Now, how much? Oh, dear. Money is so hard to come by when you're old and alone. Now, if I had the $50, Mr. Waldo... It's oh, worth yeah. 10 So little. Oh. oh, but then, you're such a nice young man. And I do enjoy your newspaper so much. I'll take it. Her bright little eyes glistened as she took the ten spot. Well, I guess it's like that when you're old. You can't eat too well, you can't sleep too well... You see life slipping by, but a ten spot is something you can smooth out, put away, and look at again and again. Mrs. Barr followed me around as I went through Waldo's room. For a change, she had very little to say. I opened the drawers in his dresser. I looked under the bed. The kid in the next room was coughing again. I opened the closet door, and the smell that hit me was sharply familiar. Ammonia. In the corner, I picked up a pair of overalls that were saturated with the stuff. My friend Waldo had been home and changed. The phone downstairs started to ring. Oh, dear, the telephone. Want me to get down and answer No, it? no, it's probably Ellen. She's so worried about the child. Will you come down now? Uh, just another minute. Oh, dear, oh, dear. You, you won't be long. I'd like to borrow these overalls if it's all right. Hmm, probably covered with germs. Well, hello. What are you doing in Mr. Waldo's room? Are you a burglar? <laughs> no, of course not. I'm one of Mr. Waldo's uh, friends. Then can you tell me when my Uncle Jim is coming back? He was going to bring me something from his trip. Well, that's nice. Where did Uncle Jim go? He went away with Mr. Waldo in the truck. But Mr. Waldo is back and not Uncle Jim. Oh, does he drive a truck, your Uncle Jim? He doesn't drive it, he owns it. And he gives me a ride in it, too. Mm-hmm. Your Uncle Jim live here? Oh, yes. Uncle Jim is my really real uncle. 
Me and my mommy are brothers. Oh, yes, I see. Nancy, you naughty child. Mrs. Barr. The idea of getting out of bed. I heard a noise. Back to bed with you, child. That was your mother on the phone. All right, Mrs. Barr. Good night, Mr. Burglar. Good night, Nancy. Imagine that child leaving her bed. Was she with you long, Mr. Stone? Oh, no, no. Just, uh... She just told me she had an Uncle Jim. Oh, oh yes. Uh, that's Ellen's brother. He's one of my other rumors. I understand he owns a truck. He's someplace in Ohio now, I believe. Been gone almost a month. Uh, couldn't uh, have been Canada. Christians, Christians. You'll simply have to excuse me. I must give that child her medicine. Good night, Mr. Stone. I'd used up my ten bucks worth of welcome, so I drove over to police headquarters and filled in Captain Sorensen on Harry Waldo's overalls and little Nancy's Uncle Jim. It was his first leave. He called motor vehicles and ordered a fast check on the truck owned by Jim Spencer, and then he started briefing me on the more recent developments. The city's in a panic, Randy. Warnings have been going out on the radio every 15 minutes. We've been flooded with calls from the mayor down. Uh-huh. Anyone with a gut ache is sure it's typhoid and wants us to send down a doctor. Come in. Here's the dope on the truck, Captain. No, we're getting somewhere. All right. Broadcast this and keep repeating it every half hour. Get it? Yes, sir. <sighs> we'll get him now. Well, you might try and sound a little more convincing. I left Sorensen chewing his upper lip. Then I headed for the Blue Angel and a little talk with Jim Spencer's sister, Ellen. The Blue Angel wasn't meant to lure the better-class citizen away from his hearth and home. It smelled of stale beer and looked as if it were being lit by half a dozen fireflies. I found an empty booth and asked the waitress if Ellen Spencer worked there. And after a while, a girl came over. She was attractive in a tired sort of way. You ask for me? Will you sit down, Ellen? I've got to talk to you. I brought you some drinks. It's the rules here. If we sit with a customer, they got to buy us drinks. That's okay. What'd you want? To talk. What about? Your brother, Jim. You a cop? No, no. What about Jim? Where is he? I don't know. What business is it of yours? When did your brother and Harry Waldo leave on the last trip? A week ago. Mrs. Barr said Jim was in Ohio. Ah, that old hag. She's in his second childhood. Mm-hmm. Jim hasn't phoned you tonight? No. What's all the noise about, anyway? The kid gets scared and runs out on a traffic accident, so they'll catch him and give him 30 days. He'll be back. Who told you about it? I heard it over the radio. Really? How did you know it was Jim? Well, I... You spoke to Harry? Yeah. He phoned me to tell me Jim was all right. Did he tell you they were hauling a load of stolen butter? Did you listen to the warnings over the radio about that butter? It's loaded with typhoid, that stuff is. Oh, that's a lie. Just a smart police gag to get the butter back. Harry tell you that, too? We got some of that butter, Ellen. It's been soaked in sewer bilge for a month. Jim wouldn't touch anything like that. He's a good kid. Maybe Jim thinks it's a gag, too. Might even get to eat some of the stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. Look, mister, I... I'd better go back to work. Hey, Ellen, you I'll have to leave now. If you hear from Jim, tell him what he's up against. Yeah. Yeah, I will. And tell him to wash his hands. Good. I followed her to the phone booth for whatever the call was. It was brief. She hung right up, so I went outside, watched her through the door. In a few minutes, she came out wearing a coat. 
I slipped around the corner, watched her climb into a cab. I jumped into my car and followed. The cab stopped in front of her house. I parked my car half a block away, waited until all the lights went off, and then I got out and walked around to the back of the house. Somewhere inside were the directions to that missing butter. It was easy raising one of the kitchen windows. I climbed in. I stood for a minute, getting used to the dark. And then suddenly a switch flicked on and the place was flooded with light. Randy Stone, Esquire, standing there, stupidly blinking his eyes. Ellen walked a few steps toward me. She didn't scream. She didn't holler. Isn't this carrying your job a little too far? I uh, knocked on the door, but nobody answered, so I turned the knob. Well, turn it again and get out. Somebody phoned you just before I left the Blue Angel. Was that Jim? That's none of your business. Now get out. If I go, Ellen, the place will be swarming with police in 15 minutes. What do you mean? Just this. You know where Jim is. If you won't tell me, you'll have to tell the cops. And when you do, you'll be involved. They'll make you an accessory. Well, let him, let him. Where's the old lady? Out for a drive. At 1.30 in the morning? She's the one who phoned me. She said she was going batty with cops hanging around. She had to get out of the house. Ellen, for the last time, where's Jim? I told you before, I don't know. They're closing in on him. You'll be doing him a favor. If they get him before he's sold any of that stuff. Oh, are you still working that typhoid gag? It's no gag, believe me. You want the lab report on no. it? No. All right, then listen to it this way. Maybe you'll understand it. The kid sits down to eat and his mother hands him a piece of bread and butter, only it's not butter. Something has been lying around in the filthy sewer water for a long time. Ten or eleven days, a kid gets sick, like your kid. He's burning with fever one minute, and the next minute he's as cold as ice. His tongue is thick and his guts feel like they're bursting. That's what typhoid is Stop like. Stop it, will you? A good doctor gets to him, the kid may live. Lots of kids may not be that lucky, Ellen. Also, you can keep your kid brother out of jail. Look out. I don't know where he is. When did you talk to Walt? He phoned me at the club. He laughed about that typhoid Where stuff. did he phone I from? I don't know. Someplace in, in town. Now, let me alone. Would that be... I'll it? take that. No, you won't. <laughs> Ellen made a grab for the phone, but I beat it to it. She clawed at me. I had to get rough, but I got the receiver. Hello. This is the long-distance operator. Yes. On your call to Elwood, we are unable to contact Mr. Jim Spencer. Shall we continue to try? Uh, no, thank you. Was that uh, Elwood? Yes, sir. Elwood, Illinois. Thank you, sir. <laughs> That was it, so they'd gone on to Elwood. I called Captain Sorensen. He picked me up in a squad car with two of his best men. It was a 70-mile ride to Elwood, and we made it in a little over an hour. It was after 3 a.m. when the clerk at the only hotel in town showed us his register. There was no Waldo and no Spencer. Then Sorensen got a bright idea. He asked the clerk if there was a creamery in town. There wasn't. No cold storage plant either. Just old Mayor Hoskins' ice house down the road. We jumped into a car and drove over there. That's nothing but an old barn. Oh, there's a light around the back. Randy, you come with me. You two cut around the other side of the building. Right. Oh, there's the truck, you see it? Yeah. All right, give me a lift, Captain. I'll see if I can get a look in through the window. It's Waldo. Uh, they got the butter? Yep, yep. There's the other one. That must be Spencer. Well, get down. We'll take them now. <laughs> All right, Spencer, get him up. Jim, the law. Those hands up, Spencer, you're covered. You too, Waldo. Don't try anything. Who's trying anything? Hold it, Captain, hold it. Somebody else is coming. Kill the lights. We'll make a sound, you two, if you want to live. We pulled the big door shut, flicked off the lights, and waited in the dark. Guns pressed into Waldo and Spencer. A car had pulled up outside. Whoever it was seemed to be having a time with the door. And then finally it opened and the lights went on. Mrs. Barr. Oh, goodness. How you startled me. 
Why, it's Mr. Stone. Have you been waiting long? And here I thought my lazy boys had gone to sleep. No, no, they haven't. And I suppose Harry Waldo has told you all about me. I just know he did. Well, not everything. That is, uh, not yet he hasn't. I just knew that boy had no character. And now I suppose you want to take me back to the city. But I hate Chicago in June. I don't think I'll go with you. Don't come any closer. Drop it, lady. <laughs> okay, mother. Randy, get the gun. Yep. Lady, don't you know these things explode? No, wasn't that foolish of me. I was going to try to get away. But where could I have gone? Where could an old lady go and hide? I do believe I'm getting senile. Isn't that a horrible word, Mr. Stone? Mrs. Barr, this is no joking matter. Don't you understand that butter could have caused an epidemic? Why, of course. Isn't it terrible? Yet you were willing to sell it? You didn't think I was going to eat it myself, did you? It was all I could do to look at the horrible stuff. But $10,000. That's such a lot of money to a poor, poor old lady. Such a lot of money. Ten a.m. and it's all buttoned up. Oh, brother, what a nightmare if a thing like that had ever happened. And all from ignorance and greed. What's that old wheeze about money being the root of all evil? Well, it's not just money. There's got to be a touch of insanity sprinkled in along with it. Like that poor old lady. Poor? When the cops ran a make on her, they uncovered a fascinating record of over 50 years of criminal history, not to mention a dozen bank accounts. Guess she didn't trust banks any too much. Such a sweet old doll. Well, at least I got to see the sun come up this morning while we were driving back, climbing up into the sky like a great big yellow ball of butter. Oh, no, what am I saying? Copy, boy. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Lou Russoff and Russell Bender with music by Frank Worth. The part of Harry was played by Don Diamond. Jane Morgan was Mrs. Barr. Others in tonight's cast were Joan Banks, Nestor Piva, Peter Leeds, Anne Whitfield, and Tudor Owen. Frank Lovejoy may currently be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Three Secrets, released by Warner Brothers. And now, here again is the star of our program, Frank Lovejoy. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's important news about Night Beat. Next week, we're moving to Friday evenings over most of these stations. That's beginning one week from this Friday on October 6th. You'll hear Night Beat at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Friday. So would you listen then to our next adventure 11 days from tonight. I'll see you on Friday, October 6th. Good night. Listen on Friday, October 6th, and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. 
Friday, October 6th, means the return of Chester A. Riley, played by William Bendix, in the hilarious The Life of Riley. Mom, Babs, Junior, Digger O'Dell, and the entire cast will be on hand to join in the fun. Saturday, October 7th, is the day when Dennis Day and Judy Canova will be back on the air. Make a listening date now. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Nightbeat with a case of butter, starring Frank Lovejoy from September 25th, 1950. Also in the cast, Don Diamond, Jane Morgan, Peter Leeds, and Joan Banks, as heard over NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the radio stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another drama episode of Nightbeat after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Randy Stone receives a tip that a bomb has been planted on a DC-4 airliner en route to Denver. Here's The Bomb on Flight 63, starring Frank Lovejoy on Nightbeat from September 4th, 1952. NBC presents Transcribed. Frank Lovejoy in Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. In a newspaper office, the night seems especially reserved for all sorts of screwy crank calls. And if every wild tale that came in over the telephone was cracked down, there wouldn't be enough reporters left around to make up a game of solitaire. This yarn started with one of those calls, but it ended differently. And how differently it ended. It was 8 o'clock in the evening. A heavy rain was falling, and I found an excuse to sit it out by polishing my next day's monumental trivia for the column. I was looking for the capital A on my typewriter when the phone rang. Stone talking. Mr. Stone, please listen. I'm listening. A bomb in the plane to Denver. A what? In the Denver bomb plane tonight. A bomb. Don't you understand? What's your name? You have no time. The passengers... If you're on the level, you give me a name. No, my husband... Go now. My bus is leaving. You're in a bus depot. Which one? Mr. Stone, you're wasting time. It's true, I tell you. The Denver plane. Well, what time does the flight leave? 8.30. I, I couldn't call till now. You say 8.30? Yes. Oh, please. Well, lady, you phoned exactly 10 minutes too late. It's 20 minutes to 9 right now. Oh, no. No. 
I repeat, some nights are good for a dozen crank calls, but I couldn't take chances with this one. I called the control tower at the airport. Hello. Uh, this is Randy Stone, Chicago Star. Yes, Mr. Stone. You had an 8.30 flight to Denver? Yes, sir, but that... Oh, well, you better contact that pilot immediately and tell him to make an emergency landing wherever he is. Have him load the passengers and let no one near the plane till the police get there. Yeah, but the Denver plane hasn't taken off. Fog came in suddenly and the flight has been grounded till it lifts. Where is she now? Far end of the strip. Oh, good. Well, keep her there and warn all personnel to keep clear and I'll be out there as soon as I can. Well, listen, Stone, you No, can't... you do as I say. I phoned police headquarters and they sent a radio car to pick me up. In five minutes, I was sitting in the back seat with Sergeant Skalski while the driver ripped up the streets at 70 miles an hour. Uh, if there's anything I can't stand, Randy, it's bombs. How what time you got, Sergeant? Uh, 8.55. And me off duty 20 minutes ago. I was getting a ride home when the call came through. Oh, there she is. You can stop here. Okay. Come on. Uh, uh, I don't mind telling you, Randy, I'm scared. Yeah, me too. I hope that call was a phony. It was a bomb, all right, and a big one. The explosion threw me to the ground. When the earth stopped tossing me around, I looked at the burning DC-4, and people were pouring towards her out of the main building. I saw a jeep with a fire crew race for the plane, and I fought my way back to my feet. Uh, you heard Randy? I'm shaken up, that's all. Uh... We'd better get over there, Kowski. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, all right, all right, folks. Step back. Step back. Now, let's clear the field now. Back inside the waiting room, all of you. The fire boys already have it licked. Yeah. yeah it looks like a ghost lying there. Well, what do we do now, Sergeant? Yeah? Poke around a bit. It's safe now. Have to make a report on this. CAB boys will take over in the morning, but I got to make a report anyways. Well, exactly what are you looking for? Uh, bomb fragments, maybe. Maybe a hunk of the container the bomb was in. Who knows? Oh, this is some mess. What's this? Hmm? Well, let's see. Hmm. Could be a bomb fragment. If you see any more, don't handle them. Prints. Print? You mean prints would stay on after an explosion like that? Yeah. Crazy, ain't it? Step aside for a minute. What? What? Another ah, fragment, just like the other. And this one is embedded in a piece of leather. Yellow pigskin leather. Uh-huh. Figure the bomb was in this bag? Maybe. Maybe not, but it's something to go on. Now, let's go talk to the passengers. The passenger? Why would a passenger put a bomb in his own luggage if he knew he was going to be blown to kingdom come? Nice guy, whoever did it. All right, folks. All right, settle down. You've got a little talking to do. Everybody here that was to be a passenger in Flight 63? Uh, officer, my name is Stephen Bradley. So? We're badly shaken up. Some of us need medical care. You have no right to hold us here. Only the right to find out who tried to murder 40 people. All right, Randy, I'll handle this. Well, then it was murder. I knew it. Now, now, take it easy, folks, and you'll all be out of here in a few minutes. I said quiet, everyone. Now, we'll call you up one by one. All you have to do is tell us if this piece of yellow leather pigskin was part of your luggage. There's enough of it here to identify. Okay, Bradley, you're in a hurry. We'll start with you. 
36 potential corpses lined up and filed past the piece of yellow leather. None of them claimed it. Then Sergeant Kalski checked their addresses and gave them the routine spiel about being available for further questioning, and he let them go. Uh, not much more I can do. Tomorrow, the Aeronautics Bureau will take over. I'll phone my report in. Uh, my watch, right? It's just quarter to ten. Yeah, it's right. Uh, you coming back to town with me? Well, if it's okay with you, I'll stick around here and do a little checking on my own. Okay. Uh, but I tell you what. If anything hot comes up, call me at home. Don't phone it into headquarters. I don't want them to think oh, you know. perish the thought. Kalski gave me his home phone number and left. A little prodding and the baggage man remembered seeing the yellow pigskin suitcase. And then came the first big break. The baggage man found a delivery slip from the Minerva Messenger Service testifying to the fact that they delivered in good order one pigskin leather suitcase to be checked on the ticket of one of the passengers, Mr. Stephen Bradley. I found Bradley at his hotel. He hadn't checked in yet. Then I called Sergeant Kalski. There was no real welcome in his voice. So glad you called, Randy. Got the thing all wrapped up? No, no, but I, uh, I found out who owned that yellow bag. Stephen Bradley, one of the passengers. Yeah, I remember him. I'll go out and pick him up. No, it's not going to be that easy. He's not at the address he gave us. I'll get him, all right. So that's who it was, huh? I'll have him by midnight. Uh, what time is it now? It's, uh, 25 to 11. Where will you be? At the Minerva Messenger Company... 24-hour service. Never heard of it. You will. The brakes were with us. The Minerva Messenger Company had a complete record of the pickup on the suitcase. They'd found an envelope in the mail slot that evening with $2 bills and a key in it. And the typewritten unsigned note had instructed them to pick up a suitcase in the locker at the Arlington bus depot and take it to the airport to be checked on Stephen Bradley's ticket. It was nearly 11 o'clock when I got to the bus station. And near a row of long, unboothed telephones, there was a candy and cigar stand. Yes, sir. Something for you? Uh, those are the only payphones here? Uh-huh. No closed booths. When it's quiet, you should know some of the conversations I listen to. I guess you make change for a lot of them, huh? Yeah, it drives me nuts. My boss don't like me talking to men during working hours. Well, the... Uh... I'm disqualified. I'm a reporter. Reporter? No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. I'm trying to locate a woman who phoned me from here. She's about, uh, oh, about 20 to 9. Were you working then? Yeah. Yeah, what'd she look like? I don't know. I don't know. She'd been crying. I'd say she was in her early 30s, uh, kind of a sexy voice. 20 to 9? You say she was crying? Well, toward the end of the conversation, she started crying. I think I know who you mean. I talked to her. Now, go on. She came in about 15 minutes after 8. Maybe 20 after. She looked scared, like she'd run away from somebody, so I watched her. That's my slow time. You said you'd talk to her. She asked me if anyone had left a note for Mrs. Curran or Curran. Some name like that. Oh, Mrs. Hal Curran. That's what it was. You think she was Mrs. Curran? I know it. She said if anybody asked for her, that she'd be back. A few minutes later, she made the call. It must have been to you. She burst out crying and hung up. What did she look like? Like I wished I looked. Dark hair, five foot three or four. Beautiful figure. No wonder you're looking for her. Uh, she was alone? Nobody with her that I know of. And she got on the bus all alone. You wouldn't happen to know what bus? Sure, the Lake Forest bus. She asked me what time it left and I told her. Say, 
That should make it a cinch. Her name is Mrs. Hal Coran, and she lives in Lake Forest. Well, that's almost too easy. It looks like she loaded you with information, knowing that I'd be around. In a way. Maybe I don't blame her. Now, what's your name? Marion. Why? Well, if this story breaks, I'll share my byline with you. I don't know exactly what you mean, but I'm all for it. I was looking for a Mrs. Hal Coran, the girl who'd phoned me from the bus station to so accurately prophesy the bomb explosion on the Denver-bound plane. And she'd left a trail easy enough for a tender-foot Boy Scout to follow. In less than an hour, I was pounding on her door. Is that you, Hal? Open the door, please. Who is it? Let me in. What do you want? I want to talk to you. Oh. What do you want? I'm Randy Stone, Mrs. Coran. I don't know you. Please, get out oh, of here. Oh, you called me earlier this evening at the Chicago Star, remember? Oh, you're mistaken. Mrs. Coran, you warned me that a bomb would explode in the Denver-bound plane. Well, it did. What plane? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, uh, let's face it. You're not very good at this sort of thing, Mrs. Coran. You gave yourself away half a dozen times. First, you made your phone call from a bus depot. I found out which one it was by tracing the baggage back to the Arlington. That's where you call from. You're, you're crazy. I wasn't out of the apartment all day. Then you walked up to a bright young girl at the candy counter and asked her if there was any messages for a Mrs. Hal Coran. I talked to that girl. She described you to a T. Want some more? You, you have no right to talk to me like this. I'm just trying to refresh your memory. You took the Lake Forest bus, correct? No! You could have made it easier if you wanted me to find you, and I think you did. Oh, I never thought of... Stupid, stupid. You wanted me to stop that plane and get to the person responsible, didn't you? I tried to stop him. I begged Hal not to do it, but he was like a crazy man. Uh, your husband, he engineered this little thing? Poor Hal, poor mixed-up Hal. Well, give me a description of him. we got to have him picked up. No, it's too late, I tell you. He said he was going to, to take his own life after the bomb went off. NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This month of September, many thousands of children will be going back to school. Four times daily, these children will be walking to and from school. You are urged to be careful, to be watchful, to be safe. In one year's time, 61,000 children were killed or injured by motor vehicles. Watch for children darting out from that blind spot between parked cars. Watch for them as they get on and off school buses. Watch for children playing on the sidewalks and crossing the streets going to and from school. Remember this. A child may dare, so drive with care. And now back to Nightbeat... And Randy Stone. I got his description and phoned it into police headquarters. I asked him if Sergeant Kalski had brought in Bradley, and they told me he hadn't. All the while I've been on the phone, Mrs. Coran sat there crying. Sergeant, if you locate Kalski, tell him I'm at... Uh, what's the number here, Mrs. Coran? Uh, Evergreen 31074. It's Evergreen 31074. Thank you. He's dead. It's my fault. It's just like I did it. Well, there's no point in blaming yourself, Mrs. Coran. It, it was the quarrel. 
Hal and Bradley had started the business together. They were equal partners. Mrs. Coran, I'm a reporter. Maybe you'd better not say anything. No. Just like I killed him, I've got to talk to someone. He may not be dead. About, about six years ago, Hal gambled with company funds. Bradley found out and said he'd prosecute if the money wasn't returned. Where could Hal raise $6,000? Well, that's quite a mound of greenbacks. They, they made a deal. Bradley was to get Hal's interest and agreed to keep Hal on as one of the shop foremen. After that, he lost all his initiative. He stayed a laborer in a business he'd created. I begged him to break away, but he wouldn't. We quarreled about it often. I, I didn't know it would lead to this. Maybe you better try and have a rest. Last night, Hal came home from work. I'd never seen him look so old and beaten. Helen? Just a minute. Hiya, honey. Hi. How come you brought all your things home from the office? Well, let's not talk about it now. I'm dead. Hal, something's wrong. Not now. After supper, please. Oh, it's always not now with you, isn't it? Tell me, Hal. All right. I lost my job. Out of work, canned. Lost your job? Hal! I'll get another one. Bradley fired you? Why? It wasn't Bradley. It was the new people. What new people? Why is it you never start from the beginning? What new people? Bradley sold him the business. They didn't want me, so I'm through. Bradley sold out? That business is half yours, Hal. We've been over that before. Oh, without a fight, you let him sell out without opening your mouth. What kind of a man are you? What was I supposed to do? Hit him over the head? No, that takes nerve. He's a dirty, rotten... And he didn't say anything to you till it was all over, huh? Oh, he came up this morning, said goodbye. He's gone to the coast to live tomorrow night. To the coast to... With your money. And you just stood there and said, good luck, Bradley. Oh, Hal, this is the last straw. I can't go on living with a man who won't fight back. Spineless, incompetent. Oh, that's enough of that. Shall I kill him? Is, is that what you want? You kill. You, you coward. I'm no coward, Ellen. And I'll prove it to you. I'm going out now. Hal, come back. What are you going to do? What do you want? Kill Bradley. Kill Steve Bradley. Oh, who said anything about killing? Just go up to him and demand what's coming to you. That's not what you really want, is it, Ellen? Oh, try talking sense, Hal. I'm talking it for the first time in my life. Hal! Come back, Hal! And this was last night? I didn't know he meant it, but... This morning, he, he brought it home. He had a gun, too. He said he'd, he'd kill me if I tried to interfere. He was crazy. What did he do with the bomb? He put it in the suitcase and made me go with him to the bus depot. Put the suitcase in the locker. Later, he had a messenger pick up the key and check the bag through to the plane. But why a bomb? Why, why take the lives of 40 people to murder one I man? I told you, he lost his mind. He wouldn't talk to me all day. He just watched me every minute. And after the messenger came? He said goodbye to me. He said as soon as Bradley was dead, he'd kill himself. Well, we've got to find him. When he finds out Bradley wasn't killed, he'll go gunning for him. Br Bradley isn't dead? But the bomb, you said it went off. Well, it did, but the plane was still on the ground. Your call was in time after all. Then, then nobody was killed. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you understand? Nobody was killed. Nobody. 
Al, Al killed himself for nothing. Poor Al. Even this last thing couldn't come off right for him. Well, I'm not so sure he's dead, Mrs. Coran. He may have been at the airport when the bomb went off. He may be looking for Bradley now. And with a gun. He's dead, I tell you. He's killed himself. The outburst tapered down and Mrs. Coran fell back exhausted on the couch. I called the police again. Still no news. Neither Bradley nor Coran had been located. Mrs. Coran had fallen asleep and I sat opposite her and waited. I heard someone opening the door and I turned around. He stood there in the doorway. An old, old man in his early 30s. His shoulders sagged and there was a look of utter dejection about him. And he blinked stupidly at me and then he walked slowly over to the woman on the couch. What's the matter with her? Ellen. No, let her alone. Let her alone. She's exhausted. You're Hal Coran. I got to talk to her. Ellen. Mm. Wake up. Oh. oh, what do you want? It's me. Hal. Hal. Hal, you, you didn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go through with it. Oh, oh he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Ellen. <laughs> what's the matter with you? She's hysterical. That's what's the matter with her. Poor kid. It's my doings. Ellen, baby. Get away from me. Don't touch me. I hate you. Ellen, listen. I'm arresting you, Mr. Coran. A citizen's arrest. Me? What for? Well, just to remind you, the bomb in Bradley's suitcase. If that plane hadn't been grounded and your wife hadn't called me, you... What are you talking about? I, I couldn't go through with it. Do you understand? I, I was going to, but like Ellen says, I... I got no guts. When it, when it comes to a pinch, I got no guts. Oh, hell, lying won't do you any good. Haven't you even got the strength to admit what you've done? I took it out of the locker and brought it home early this afternoon. But... You were out, Ellen. I, I disconnected the fuse and I put it in this drawer. And that's the truth. Right in here. Come here, mister. I'll show you. Uh, well? It was here. I put it here myself. Oh, it's funny. Honest, it's funny, the mess he makes of things. I'm phoning the police to come and get you, Coran. Put that phone down. Oh, give me that gun, Coran. I mean it. I, I put the bomb in that drawer. Somebody took it out. A gun, please. Hal, what's the use? Ellen, somebody took the bomb out of the drawer. Coran. Stay put, mister. I'm, I'm leaving. How long do you think you'll last? Long enough. And don't try to follow me. I phoned the cops again and brought them up to date, and then I went looking for him. I figured he might be hiding close by. In a few minutes, the neighborhood was swarming with police, so I went back to stay with Mrs. Coran. I heard some movement behind her door. I was sure it was Coran. I wanted to get in quietly so that I could grab him from behind. A man was standing near Mrs. Coran when I got inside, but it wasn't her husband. Bradley. What? Oh, Mr. Stone. Oh, did, did no. you... No, no, we haven't got him yet. It won't be long, though. This the newspaper man you told me about, Ellen? Yes. Well, you've been keeping yourself, Bradley. A lot of uniformed men have been looking for you. Oh, he, he knew at the airport that Hal had put the bomb there, didn't you, Steve? Yes, I recognized the leather. I'd given that back to him for a birthday present. Why didn't you tell the sergeant? I wanted to square it my own way. I tried to stop it. I tried all I could. 
You tried all right. How? I locked the door. Line up against the wall, all of you. Give me that gun, Coran. Get back. I'll shoot you. I mean it. Well, the cops will be here in a minute. That's all I need. A minute. Hal. D- darling, put the gun down. We can settle this without guns, Coran. It came to me all of a sudden. A few minutes ago, I got the total. I did take that bomb home. Oh, he's lying. He never came home all day. So I asked myself, who put it back in the suitcase and had it delivered? The answer was so simple, I had to laugh. Ellen, she took it back. Me? Me? Coran, you're not on trial here. Save your defense for the right place. I'd suggest that you... Don't move. Anybody tries to stop me now gets killed. Why bring Ellen into this? Why don't you be man enough to take it I asked myself that, too. Why would Isn't Ellen... Isn't anybody going to stop him? Then it hit me. Ellen been working me up on Bradley. Not because he was running out on me, but on her. Get it? He, he's crazy. When I told her Bradley was leaving, I, I couldn't understand why she went wild like that. Then I started remembering little things... Like useless trips Bradley would send me on. Stuff like walking into a room and seeing him laughing about something. You know, that special kind of laugh. Hal, you're being ridiculous. Poor Hal. When he showed he was going to run out on her, she she wanted him dead. And she took the bomb out of the drawer, rigged it up again, and sent it to the airport. You see the way it added up? Lies. Every word of it's lies. You prove all that in court and you're in good shape, Hal. I can't wait for the court to straighten my accounts. I just got the total tonight, and I've got to pay it off. Steve, he's going to kill you. Now, look, you're not yourself. What do you want? Money? I'll give you some. Lots. Steve will make it right with you, Hal. He will. Tonight. Tonight, I got the picture. Bradley, Ellen, and Hal. Ellen, Bradley, and Hal. Hal always laughed. No, 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 that's not true. You know when it all came to me? After I left you a little while ago, Ellen, I didn't go running through the streets looking for a place to hide. I went to the apartment house next door. I sat down on the fire escape. Open up in there. Keep quiet, all of you. Know what room I could see from the fire escape? This one, Ellen. I saw Bradley come in. How you... Oh, Hal, honest... It didn't mean anything. You ran up to him, and I saw a look on your face, the same look I used to see when we were first married. Randy! Randy, you in there? Hold it. Koski's got a gun. Shut up. You took that look away from me and gave it to Bradley. That made it a clean sweep for him, my business, my job, my wife. Hell, I'll make it right. Just give me a chance. You, Bradley? You don't owe me anything. It's Ellen... What she's taken from me, there's only one way to square. Me? How are you... You're going to kill me? Coran, listen. I believe you. The court will, too. You love me, Hal. Don't you love me? Yes, Helen. I love you. Then you wouldn't... Coran... Goodbye, Helen. He did it. He killed her. 
Yeah. Yes, I was in the middle of that one. Now I've got to write it up for tomorrow morning's eye-opener. Now, whose point of view will I handle it from? Hal's? You couldn't do that. He's a murderer. You wouldn't want to sympathize with him. And Bradley's? What's he done that a million other men haven't? And Ellen? That reminds me of the song, Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone. Now we better leave Ellen out of this, too. How about a nice bit on the grain exhibit at the museum? Hmm? Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. This transcribed story was a Lewis and Russoff script with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Ellen was played by Joan Banks. Others featured were John Stevenson, Paul Fries, Stan Waxman, and Sandra Gould. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Listen next week at this time, and every week, as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Night Beat came to you from Hollywood. Protect yourself, your savings, your very way of life by becoming an investor in America. Buy new, improved United States defense bonds regularly. Yes, buying defense bonds is the way you can directly contribute to America's security and your own. And it's so easy to save the defense bond way. Just join your payroll savings plan where you work, or if you're self-employed, sign up for the bond-a-month plan where you bank. This way, you automatically put aside as much money as you want to each month. Before you know it, you have a backlog for emergencies, savings for a trip, the down payment on that new home, as well as having helped Uncle Sam in the all-important job of defense. And defense bonds are now an even better investment than ever, with new improved interest rates and a quicker return on your money. So become an investor in America today. Buy more defense bonds more often because they're now even better. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Nightbeat with the bomb on Flight 63, starring Frank Lovejoy from September 4th, 1952. Also in the cast, Joan Banks, Paul Fries, Stan Waxman, and Sandra Gould, as originally heard over NBC. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 54 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break.
next time on episode 54 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange. We'll hear two horror episodes of The Sealed Book, starring Philip Clark, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune into our next show. Thanks for listening. 